0: Jesus is real. power in your name. Jesus is
1: The big question for us if we're followers of Jesus is what does it look like to follow Jesus where the rubber meets the road in the world in which we live in? And unfortunately, what's going on today is that when people are looking for what does it look like to follow Jesus, a lot of people just aren't looking at the Bible anymore. They're looking at their news channels. And I'm here to tell you, you're not going to learn how to follow Jesus from a news channel. And some people are looking at social media. I'm here to tell you, you're not going to find out how to follow Jesus from social media.
0: Do you want to follow Jesus? Great. So how are you going to do that? Where are you looking for information on what your next steps are? As Pastor Daniel said, it's not going to be found on the internet or with some media personality. It's in the Bible, so let's dig in. Pastor Daniel starts a new series today in the book of James. This New Testament book will give you what you're looking for, useful guidelines to put your faith into practice right now. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in James chapter 1 as he begins his message, Struggles and Trials.
1: Sometimes we all need a bit of perspective, don't we? If you think about that idea of getting perspective, it really speaks to us. The word perspective in its root in the Latin literally means how we look through something. In every definition has this idea of what we look through. So our perspective is the lens through which we view the world. And perspective can be gained in lots of different places. I think for a lot of us, we can look at different times in our life where we learned something, where we were blessed or given some perspective. I remember this happened to me a number of years ago. You know, before I went into the ministry, I was pursuing a career in music. And, you know, I remember when I was in college, I picked up an upright bass uh, when I was in college, which, I was an electric bass player, and I, I saw a guy playing an upright, and I'm like, that dude is the coolest guy in the room, because he's got this big old bass, and so when you're like me, you're like, if it makes me cool, I'll get it. So I went, and I bought an upright. Now that I got older, you know, I wish I had played the flute or something, because carrying that big bass around is hard on the back and on the fingers, but, you know, it's like, and I remember, so I, I got this upright bass, and I started studying the bass with this phenomenal bass player and artist, this guy named Ken Filiano. And I remember I was playing this gig, and, and we were learning how to play jazz, and so we were playing these long gigs. And my bass teacher, Ken, came to my gig. And I remember when I would, like, look down, I was in the middle of playing, and I saw my bass teacher there, I immediately felt two things. One was completely insecure, because this guy's, like, a phenomenal bass player, and I'm just, like, trying to work the thing out. And then also, so I felt totally insecure. And then, I'm like, and then I also felt kind of bewildered, like, I can't believe he's here. And so after the set break was over, I went over, I grabbed my coffee, and I was like, I'm like, hey, Ken. He's like, you sound awesome tonight. And I was like, oh, man, I just, you know, I was trying to do this, and this thing's not working. And he's like, stop. He's like, nobody knows what you're trying to say with your music. They just hear what's coming out. And he's like, all that other stuff, your insecurities, like, that's your head stuff. But I just really enjoyed what I heard. And I remember I kind of stopped and kind of grabbed my coffee because I just got reprimanded by my bass teacher, you know, and just took a sip of coffee. But I remember I went home that night and I wrote it in my journal, like, nobody actually knows what you're trying to do. They just know what you're doing. And not only was that great, like, musical advice as a musician, but it was actually great life advice. Because how often what we, like, people don't know what our intentions are. They just know what we're doing. And sometimes we have to clarify, hey, you know, I did that, but I was really trying. Like, my hope in this was this, and it got misconstrued. But that idea of that perspective that, like, what's going on on the inside, people just know what you do. But it was a great perspective. It's something that it helps me with music. It helps me with life. I, you know, I got some more perspective yesterday. You know, my oldest now, Obadiah, is you know, almost 17, and so we work out together. You know, when we started working out together a couple years ago, it was cool. He was, you know, 14 And I've been working out for a while, and I was feeling pretty good about myself. Until yesterday, of course. So Obadiah and us decided we were going to go for a run. And so we started running, you know, and Obadiah is whatever, he's like 5'11", he's, you know, chiseled 160 pounds. And we started running, and he just took off like a shot. And there was a time when me and Obadiah would run, and I could just totally keep up with him. And so yesterday, I'm like, I'm going to catch up with him. And then I heard perspective that I would learned along the way that ego is not your amigo. <laughs> <laughs> and at that moment, like I realized, I'm like, you guys, you guys ever know, no Spanish, you know, amigo is friends. So your ego is not your amigo. It's like, it's not your friend. Because I, I was literally going to try and catch up with Obadiah only to realize that like, I'm not going to catch up with him. Sure enough, like we're running and like, he's like way out there. And I'm like, yeah, I can't catch up with him anymore. He's young and I'm old, you know. So then you know what happened though? We were running. Then Obadiah stops to tie his shoe in the middle of the run. And I'm like, I got him, you know. So I sped up a little bit and I passed him. And then right as he finished tying his shoes, he got up. And what did he do? (laughs) You know, and so again, and he's like, like, so he was just, just like leaving me in the dust, you know, and I just remember just being like, you know, it's good. Like, he's a man. He sh- at some point, he should outrun his dad, you know. But I was, even though I woke up this morning, I could barely walk, just trying to keep up with him. But it's like, it's a good perspective, you know what I mean? That like, as you get older, you can't do things the way you did it when you were younger. You know, and I know no one likes to hear that. And, and everyone's like, Fusco, you're too young to be talking that way. But it's real. Like, but it's, it's perspective, And in a lot of ways, today we're going to begin a journey together where we need to get a perspective on what does it look like to really follow Jesus in life. Because for people who believe in Jesus, who we are and how we live should represent Jesus in the world. And people are saying a lot, you know, the world is more complicated than it's ever been. I don't believe that at all. I believe that the world is always complicated. Like if you read in the times of the Bible, it's like, you know, Christians were getting killed for their faith, you know? And so our generation is things complicated, yes. Is it the most complicated it's ever been? No. The big question for us, if we're followers of Jesus, is what does it look like to follow Jesus where the rubber meets the road in the world in which we live in? And unfortunately, what's going on today is that when people are looking for what does it look like to follow Jesus, a lot of people just aren't looking at the Bible anymore. They're looking at their news channels. And I'm here to tell you, you're not going to learn how to follow Jesus from a news channel. And some people are looking at social media. I'm here to tell you, you're not going to find out how to follow Jesus from social media. There's only one place to get the perspective of God on how we should live, and that's in the Bible. And so today, we're going to begin studying the book of James together. So I want you to open your Bibles to the book of James chapter 1. We're going to take the first 16 verses together. It's easy to find the book of James. If you start at the back of your Bible, the book of James is towards the end, it's between Hebrews and 1 Peter. So if you start at the end of the Bible, it's Revelation, then the one chapter book of Jude, and then 3, 2 and 1 John, third John, 2nd John, 1st John, 2nd Peter, 1st Peter, and then right before 1st Peter is James. See how I did that? I didn't miss any of them. I just did the Bible in reverse for you. But if you don't like it, hey, I don't like touching paper. It's like I'm a contemporary person. Pull out your mobile device. You know, type in James chapter 1. Now, it's really beautiful because look at how it starts. It says, James, verse 1, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. Now, it's really powerful because James, according to church history, was the half-brother of Jesus. So if you remember, Mary had Jesus by the Holy Spirit. She had never been intimate with her husband, Joseph. It was before that they had consummated their marriage. But then later, Mary had other children with her husband, Joseph, of which one of them was James. And it's amazing that James didn't start his letter saying, James, the half-brother of Jesus. I mean, I would to give you a little bit of street cred, right? Like, Can you imagine being James Growing up with Jesus, Jesus is like, I'm the Messiah. And he's like, no, you may be mom's favorite, but you're not the son of God. <laughs> like you can ima- like, I just try to imagine like this stuff. Because, and what's amazing is, is, according to the Bible, James didn't believe in Jesus until after Jesus' resurrection. It says in John chapter 7, verse 5, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. But by the time you get to 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus revealed himself to James after his resurrection, <laughs> And then James became one of the pillars in the early church. But James calls himself a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that word bondservant literally means somebody who is chosen to be a servant. They weren't compelled by law. Their hearts wanted it. And so James sees himself as a bondservant of God and also a bondservant of, notice he calls his half-brother the Lord Jesus Christ. So obviously, Jesus is his name. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah, which means the promised anointed one. And he calls Jesus Lord. Now, if you ever want evidence on why you should believe in Jesus, because Jesus' half-brother called him Lord, Jesus Christ. Somebody who knew him, saw his life. And James is writing this letter to, notice it says, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. So James is writing this book to Jewish believers in Jesus who've been scattered all over the, the Roman Empire. Now, what's interesting about this, you might say, well, if it's written to the 12 tribes, I'm not ethnically Jewish. Is this for me? Yes, it's for you. But what's interesting is James knows his audience. And if you read the Old Testament, we commonly call the Old Testament, for people who are Jewish, their whole point of what they were doing is, what does it look like to follow the true and living God in the world in which we live? It's very practical. And that's why James's book is so practical. It's, what does it look like at street level to follow Jesus. And I think this perspective is much needed. So you're like, okay, so give me some perspective, Fusco. We'll, well, well, let the word of God do that. Look what it says in verse two. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, you want some perspective? Trials are purposeful. Trials are purposeful now talk about like some a timely word from god because everyone's going through stuff right now there are infinite numbers of trials and situations that are going on and we have a tendency in the midst of trials to lack perspective to not understand what's going on and really what we learned here is that god has a purpose in trials now notice it begins and i remember the first time i read verse two i was like this is crazy my brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials." Has any of you ever thought that way? Like something bad goes on, like, man, I count this as joy. Like maybe you have somebody who loves the Lord who will help you with that perspective. But in the beginning, you're like, this is bad, B-A-D. This is nothing good comes from this. This is all bad. No, no, James says we should count it all joy. Now, he's not saying that we should have joy for the trials. And I think that's important. Because sometimes believers take this verse like, no, we should be happy for the trials. No, it says we should be happy in the trials. So like, like let me give you an example. I, I, I'll never forget one time I know somebody and they're like, they found out that their mother had cancer. And like, I am so joyful for her. I'm like, don't say that to anybody else. And they're like, no, no, it says count all joys. I'm like, no, 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 It doesn't say for the trials. It says in the trial. Because for, you tell your mom that you're happy she's got cancer, your mom is going to be like, well, I'll give it to you. No, she's a good mom, so she wouldn't say I'll give it to you. But you know what I mean. It's like we shouldn't be joyful for the issue, but we realize that God is doing a work within the issue. So we counterjoy when we fall into various trials. Why? Knowing, that word knowing is huge. It means settled confidence, a settled understanding. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience now don't miss this James ties struggles and trials to a test of faith now that I think in and of itself is so important because oftentimes we see trials and testings and we divorce it from our faith but James says actually this count all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the Testing of your faith. So the trial that you're going through is actually a test of your faith. And it's not testing your faith to show God what is in your faith. It's actually showing you what is in your faith. And how we handle trials shows us where we are at in regards to walking by faith in real time at street level where we live. So he says, knowing that this trial that is a test of our faith, it produces. Patience. Some of your translations say perseverance. Some of your translations say endurance. You could also use the word resilience or the popular word today is grit. It all means the exact same thing. The ability to stay standing in the midst of great opposition. And the only way we learn these ideas, patience or perseverance or steadfastness or grit, we only learn it as we go through tests of faith. And really what God wants to do is he wants to produce the fruit of patience. And then notice what it says. He says, verse 4, But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now you see see the purpose of trials now. Because trials, when we're trusting the Lord, produces patience or perseverance and perseverance when it has its perfect work causes us to mature to be perfect that word literally means to come to full maturity or to be complete at a point then where we're not lacking anything so God's purpose in trials is to produce patience which helps us to mature in our faith so you see how trials are purposeful I always love the fact that, it's, that you might be perfect or mature, complete. And then it says, lacking what? Nothing. Now, this, of course, in my heart ties me into Psalm 23, which begins by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? Yeah. See, that reality, it speaks of a spiritual maturity that actually only is born through the trials that we go through. And so what you realize here is that God has a purpose in the trials that we go through. And of course, Paul says something very similar in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, where the apostle Paul says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Now, is that a crazy thing? James is counting it all joy in trials. Paul's like, I glory in tribulations. Why? Knowing that tribulation produces Perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of Jesus has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. See, Paul sees the same thing. We glory in these issues knowing that as we go through these trials, tribulation produces perseverance, patience, endurance, resilience, and perseverance produces character, we become Christ-like in the personality that God has given us. And that God, that Christ-like character now gives birth to hope. And he's like, hey, and hope, it doesn't disappoint because God has given us his spirit. See, we start to see now that no matter what we're going through, when we walk through what we're going through in faith, God produces fruit that is necessary for us to mature. Now, you might say to yourself, but Fusco, I'm going through it right now, and I don't know what to do. Well, I'm so happy that you're in that place because listen to what James says next. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Now, here you go. No matter what you're going through, you and I, we need to ask for wisdom. We need to ask for wisdom. And then a lot of times, we need perspective because we lack wisdom. And when we go through these trials and we don't understand what's happening and we forget that God has got a purpose to produce Christ-likeness in us, then we get even more confused. And then Jay's like, hey, guess what? If any of you lack wisdom, then you should ask of God. And then it tells us that God gives wisdom liberally and without reproach. I love this idea that we can ask God for wisdom and that God will give it liberally and without reproach. And let me say this first. If any of you heard the word liberally and you thought politics, you need to shut off your TV. Because the Bible had these words before Partisan American politics has these words. So if your first thought was, I can't believe they said liberal in the Bible, or of course they said liberal in the Bible. It's been there the whole, no, listen, it's not political. It's spiritual. The idea of God giving liberally reminds me of something that just happened in my family. So it's the end of summer, right? And so the kids are like, man, it's the end of summer. We're going back to school. And I'm like, let's go get ice cream. They're like, yeah. So we're like, we put the kids in the car, we went to get ice cream and we showed on up. Right, and we finally, we waited, and we we get there, and they're giving our orders, and the lady's like, what size? Now, inside, I'm saying the big size, but I'm a man of self-control, and I'm not as young as I used to be, so if I eat the big size, it'll be with me on into eternity, so I'm like, I'll take a small size, and she's like, oh, you want the medium, and inside, I'm like, yes, I'm like, no, no, the small, she's like, you want the medium? She's like in my head, this lady. And it's like my own personal struggle. And I'm like, no, I'll take the small size. Great. All good. Sure enough, when she gives me my ice cream, you know what she gave me? She gave me a big size. But she didn't charge me for the big size. Now, when this happens, I'm like, this is awesome. But then when I remember this scripture, I'm like, this is how God gives wisdom. You're like, God, I just want a little wisdom. He's like, you want a lot of wisdom. No, no, I just need a little insight. He's like, no, I'm going to give you a ton. That's what it means that God gives wisdom liberally. You're asking for something. He's like, I'm going to give you so much more. That's what it means. And not only does God give wisdom when we ask for it in a liberal way, God does it without reproach. And I love that. God doesn't shame us for not being the alpha and the omega. God is not mad at you when you do not understand what you don't understand. He's not like, oh, yeah, you you, you think you're so smart. You don't know anything, but I'm God. I know everything. And so ha, ha, ha. He doesn't do that. So it takes out the issues. You're like, man, what if I ask for wisdom and God doesn't give it to me? Or what if I ask for wisdom and then God holds it against me? And both of those James say, no, you're supposed to ask for wisdom and God wants you to have wisdom. And of course, that's what it says in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. The whole book of Proverbs is about wisdom. Listen to Proverbs 2, 1 to 7. My son, if you receive my words and you treasure my commands within you, So that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment, you lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. So what it means is that if you don't know what to do, you should ask God, and God wants to give you wisdom, so you should ask for wisdom. But what's interesting is James doesn't just stop there because James gives one prerequisite. It's a big word. I would say prerequisite. Nobody wants to say it. I can't even say it there's one stipulation for wisdom. And notice what he says. Verse six. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord for he is a double-minded man unstable in all of his ways. Now here's the thing. It's easy to ask God for wisdom. But it's also easy to ask God for wisdom not believing God's going to give it or not really wanting the answer.
0: Jesus is real. Trials are everywhere. We've all experienced them. You might be in one right now. You're not alone. Pastor Daniel shared what the book of James teaches about enduring trials. There's a lot of hope that you can hold on to. See, Jesus is still in control, and he knows what's going to happen. Trust him and ask him for wisdom and faith so that you can walk through it as well. Hey, everyone.
1: There's a lot happening in the world, and it can keep you pretty busy. But I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life. And I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live.
0: Pastor Daniel reminds you to shift your perspective. It's not always easy to see beyond your current circumstances. It's hard and it's weighty. And sometimes it takes effort just to focus today. But what if you asked Jesus to change your focus? He can open your eyes to what he's doing in you and around you and what part you are playing. And he may use other people to help you see from their personal experiences with the Lord. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Where the Rubber Meets the Road. Until then, may God bless.